somebody listening right now needs to hear this. I know that I do uh, right now need to hear this for myself. But even if nobody, let me rephrase it. Even if you are the only person telling yourself to keep carrying on and to keep trying and to keep striving and pushing toward your goal, that's enough. Listen to yourself and believe yourself. It's my experience that sometimes in life, nobody is going to tell you that you can do it. Some people will try to very nicely let you down, tell you to go back to safer waters or retreat behind the walls for your own good. And that can be really challenging to hear that and think they were supposed to be my encouragement when I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. You might have to be that for yourself. And so if you're listening right now and you need to hear that, then encourage yourself. I also am happy to let you know if this message is feeling extremely personal to you and you need to hear me say it to you, keep going, keep pushing, keep pressing. The only way you lose is if you quit or if you die before you succeeded (laughs) and you're not dead yet. (laughs) So anyways, on that really positive and chipper note, uh, I wanted to let you know I'm bringing a podcast recording out of the deep vaults. I recorded this all the way back before Thanksgiving of 2022. So some of this stuff is going to be uh, really far out of chronological order. I mention, again, the wonderful and talented Robin and Michael J. Sullivan. And this also is an interview with a man who was briefly one of my pastors at church. So it's been a long time, and I do talk about that toward the end. I think he's awfully gracious in not necessarily trying to go uh, evangelical on me. (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the podcast. But if you are a uh, non-religious or non-spiritual listener, there is a ton uh, as a reader or a writer to be gathered from the Enneagrams uh, and those assessment tools to understand yourself better. Um, Certainly, you will hear uh, Tyler talk about how people in the church are kind of split on whether this is a good thing or uh, if if it's really evil kind of like Harry Potter. I don't know. Anyways, hope you enjoy this interview with Tyler Zock. Now, if you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers. What time-lapse was for painters. Guitar solos and spotlight were for bands. And what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. But what does TRBM stand for? The robust bold monster? Tutus reinvent ballet moves? Or Tony Romo battled mascots? You decide. Yeah, so the Enneagram is uh, a motivation-based personality framework uh, just oriented around, oriented around nine types, so nine archetypes. And uh, where other personality types describe outward behavior, the Enneagram is helpful to understand why you do what you do. Uh, and it's also unique in that it's a map. Uh, it charts a growth path for you. So it doesn't just tell you what you're good at, what your strengths are, but shows you where you can grow. And so that's one of the reasons why people love it so much. 
Okay. What yeah. made you, what made you fall for it specifically? I, I, I mean, you came from a, a background where there was a lot of focus on personality tests and types as well. I think that, that was kind of woven into both core, uh, the church I came from and then Quorum Deo where you came from. And then we sort of, you know, ran into each other many, many times along the way, but both of those churches really cared a lot about personality types. So is that where you fell in love with it or did you fall in love with the churches because of those? Does that make sense? Uh, what I'm asking? Yeah. I've always loved <laughs> okay. personality assessments. I know some people don't, mm-hmm. uh, but I've always loved it because I love learning about myself. I love the self self actualization piece of understanding how I'm wired, uh, you know, uh, just because I want to understand personal calling and where I'm going and what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, also, I just, I want to grow. I want to be transformed. And uh, if there's a tool that can help me understand myself better, uh, I'm going to use it. So, yeah. you know, I've used Myers-Briggs and, and other tools, but the Enneagram has been so, it has been the best tool because it gets under the hood in a way that other tools have not been able to do. Uh, I mean, it looks at your core motivation, your core sin, right? You're uh, just helping you to understand why you do what you do is so, so helpful. Mm. Um, And I think one of the reasons why I love it is because it can help you to understand how to encourage other people, uh, how to, how to not just challenge them, but how to, how to encourage them and how to help them to see gifts that they didn't even realize they had and to call Mm. it greatness in them, call it the gold in them. And uh, the Enneagram has been just uh, fabulous for, for that. So one thing I'm curious about, and we'll we'll tie this all into marketing. This is a book marketing mindset show, I should say. So we'll tie it into mindset a little bit. But um, I'm kind of curious. My sense about a lot of personality tests and and uh, things of that nature is that they they almost appeal more to people who lean on logic and rational thought processes, and they're not as appealing to the highly emotional or emotive kind of people. Do you experience that or what, what's your experience there? No, I would say the Enneagram I've experienced the opposite. I think the, the more logical uh, people, uh, the more rationally minded people are a little more, more skeptical of the Enneagram. And I, from what I found is a lot of the, the more logical, rational kinds of people also have really good boundaries and uh, want privacy and uh, you know, and so the Enneagram gets, you know, kind of reads your mail <laughs> and it could be a little uncomfortable. Uh, whereas uh, like the type nines on the Enneagram, uh, they're that go with the flow. They love understanding all perspectives. Uh, they're very understanding. They're non-judgmental. Like they love the Enneagram because it's like, oh, I get to understand everyone's perspective and I can, it can help me bring peace and unity by bringing people together. And, you know, so, so nines typically love it. The fours, which typically are the most feeler, feely type people, the artists, the creatives, they also love the Enneagram because they typically uh, are okay with uh, darker emotions and getting under the hood. And and um, a lot of them are therapists and counselors as well. Um, and they just love the Enneagram because it takes it goes to a level of depth that other tools haven't been able to get to. Gotcha. Uh, so that's so- just my experience. Step back real quick because you started using numbers, and for people listening who who don't necessarily know the numbers, go ahead and list them off just so that people can reference that part of the the conversation. Um, one through nine, it sounds like, right? Yeah, there's nine archetypes, and you could think of them as like the primary colors on a color wheel. Uh, and then as you uh, blend certain colors together, like the paint swatch at Home Depot, uh, you start getting different shades and hues, and that's sort of how the Enneagram theory goes. Is 
we don't believe that there's just nine types, uh, but it's a, it's the best uh, guess. It's the, you know, it's a, it's a good system for now. And there's, so there's nine archetypes uh, that are categorized, but you can sort of, you know, blend them together like colors. Um, but typically, you know, there's, there's, you fall into one type and you're always that type. You never move to a different type. Um, and so there's the one that the improver or perfectionist, uh, there's the two, which are the helpers uh, or befrienders. Uh, there's the threes, and I would identify with the three, which is an achiever, uh, a very image conscious uh, type uh, that likes productivity and efficiency and getting things done. Then there's the four, which are the individualists. Uh, they want to be unique and special. Uh, and then they get the fives, which are the observers or investigators. Uh, they, get, they tend to be the most rational rationally minded uh, type. And then you have the six, which are the loyal skeptics or the loyalists, uh, very loyal to causes, very loyal to people, but also very skeptical and uh, slow to uh, gain trust. Uh, sevens are the enthusiasts. Uh, oftentimes uh, they're the most like joy filled people excited about a lot of things, love new adventures. Uh, and then you got the eights, which are the challengers or what I, I like to call them the protectors uh, very powerful people like MLK types. And then you have the nine, which are the peacemakers or mediators. Very go with the flow uh, and love to see things from all sides and bring mm. people together and mediate mediate conflicts and uh, create harmony. So that's just a quick, off the top of my head, <laughs> right yeah, now, that's, all nine that's types. Great. So you you mentioned um, how it's kind of a, a spectrum and thinking of it like the color wheel. The, the one way I'm wondering if it's a little bit different is you could be like uh, a combination of one and nine, right? And but that wouldn't make you like closer to a four. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. That, you're right. That that would would make you a four. There's similarities between the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all human. We're all very. We're, we're there's a lot of similarities uh, and overlap, uh, but there's some distinct differences between them uh, mm. that that would make you a one or a nine. Uh, so you know, ones have this desire to be right, uh, to desire to do things right, and desire to be perfect. Uh, and mm-hmm. have a really hard time with imperfection. Uh, so it, it's fun putting this through the lens of writing uh, mm-hmm. because, for example, uh, type one is going to have a really hard time of getting a book uh, to the shelf or mm-hmm. getting a book published because they're going to feel like it's not perfect enough. Hmm. Uh, there's going to be too many flaws. You know, like, it, It's just not going to be perfect enough, and they're going to have a really, really hard time uh, hitting publish. Uh, okay. Whereas other types would be like sevens would be like, Oh, I just got to get it out the door. You know, I just got, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't really matter. Like it'll it just, I just need to get it out there. Uh, mm. And so there's different personality types will show you how you approach writing. Okay. Now let me ask you a, a strange question. It goes back to, well, not necessarily a strange question is I asked you before, like if emotional people are or less inclined to it, or if rational people are more inclined to it, is there a type on the, the Enneagram that is most likely to dislike the process? Like somebody who's like, I don't care. I just don't want to know. I like get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I think the fives, the observers right. or investigators, uh, typically are the most skeptical of it uh, just because by nature they are very respect privacy and want privacy hmm. and uh, don't like people reading their mail. Uh, gotcha. uh, but the, the creator of the Enneatypes types uh, actually was a five. And so okay. he was a brilliant uh, psychologist uh, that could, that could put systems of thought together really, really sharply and, and uh, succinctly and, 
so, but yeah, in my, in my experience, fives would be, have the hardest time just because hmm. you start describing the type and you start describing, hey, fives uh, sometimes can be stingy with their resources, with their emotions. They need to be more generous mm-hmm. and take what's the rich um, creative world that's inside their head and they need to be more generous in sharing it and getting it out there uh, rather than being so private. Uh, hmm. And so you start talking about these things and it can make you uncomfortable. Uh, you know, that's why one of the reasons why fives um, have a hard time sometimes. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to factor in for myself, figuring out why it is that typically these kind of tests are are not palatable to me. Um, and I don't think I'm a five, like listening to what you're talking about, about that experience. Um, it's mm. interesting. My, I wonder, I don't like being boxed, I think is the biggest thing. I don't like mm. being put in a box. I feel like depending on the circumstances, I can be so many different things. If I'm with my wife's family, uh, I'm, I'm, I appear to be very introverted, almost to the point of like social awkwardness. People who listen to the podcast have heard me talk about these stories. So I'm not going to rehash too much of it, but, um, I like, I, I just, clam up really hardcore around her family. But if I'm around my family, I'm kind of the joker, life of the party, Um, close friends. I can be really sincere, daring. I'm mischievous and and pretty sneaky and somewhat deceptive. And so I have like a lot of different forms depending on where I fit in. Um, And like every time I've run into tests, I can take the Myers-Briggs and know that it thinks I'm an INFJ. But like, to me, I, I don't see that I'm always that way. I think I have a lot of extroversion and a lot of introversion. And, you know, I could go on like this forever. These tests make me uncomfortable by nature. Mm. That's no, that, and that's okay. I think not everyone should take the tests and, you know, it's, it's a matter of conscious, your conscience uh, of whether or not you want to dig in. And I don't, as an Enneagram coach, I don't push it on other people. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's not for everyone, uh, but it's different from astrology and it's, it's a different from numerology and some of those things where, you know, they say, Hey, based on your birthday, this is who you are. Right. Uh, or, you know, based on your name, the letters of your name, this is who you are. Hmm. So the Enneagram type is a self, you self verify. So you read through the best description possible of the nine types uh, and it, it deals with probabilities, not absolutes. So mm. saying, if you are a three, here are some probabilities that are very common of people in this sort of color and this sort of number, mm. a range. And so there are things that you need to be on guard for on, you know, be looking out for, uh, it may not be true. It's not absolutely true of you. Uh, but there's some high probabilities. And so do yeah. that work of figuring out which, which one you lean towards and then see if there's any of those things that you feel like you need to work on. And, mm-hmm. and that way it can be a really helpful map. And so where it gets unhealthy is where you start boxing yourself in saying, I'm app- this is my identity because the mm-hmm. Enneagram telling me what my identity is or like, Hey, you're a four and start calling other people numbers and boxing them in. That's where it's, yeah. it goes against Enneagram ethics is what I say. Okay. So in, in the situation of writers, you've, you've written books, you're still in the process of writing more books. Um, there's a series and I want to get to talking more about those books very specifically here in a minute, but you, you had mentioned earlier, there are types or people who are going to have a harder time getting books on the shelf. How, how do you see this being a useful tool for somebody if they want to dive into their own mindset and see, Hey, you know, I wrote this book. 
I published it and now I've got to get in front of readers. What are the ways that I can use an Enneagram to help me have a better mindset toward marketing? Hmm. That's just such a great question. Uh, it just takes learning. Like, starting with the Enneagram Primer book, like The Road Back to You is a really helpful uh, book for both religious and non-religious audiences. Uh, I have a self-typing guide on my website uh, that you can actually see 30 bullet points for every type. So kind of a quick overview of, of, of all the types. And if you just see that one page of characteristics, you can start to start to understand some of the pros and cons or uh, that's, that's not the right word. Some of the strengths and challenges, you know, that you might have to marketing your book or publishing your book. And, uh, and it's very, very helpful, you know, um, and also can, can safeguard you in, in certain ways as well. Mm. Uh, like my mom's a five uh, mm-hmm. observer investigator. Like I, I shared before, uh, they sometimes have a harder time with Enneagram and for her, as a five, fives love researching. They love uh, just researching all kinds of topics. They love knowledge. They want to be competent and uh, they can be fantastic writers because they can be very creative, uh, rich inner world. Uh, but for her, she ha- she never feels like she's done enough research to actually go move ahead. And so she she's an artist. And so she's done all kinds of paintings, beautiful paintings, but she feels like she has to do more research on, on how to do an Etsy shop and how to do all these things. And she feels like not competent enough to mm. be able to like move forward. And I just, and so I'm there to encourage her to be like, just hit go, you know, just, just do it yeah. uh, because you're incredibly competent. Um, and so, you know, done is better than perfect. And so let's, mm-hmm. let's move forward. Right. And, you know, we could spend, you know, an hour just talking about, you know, each type. Uh, but for me as a three, uh, I can tend to take shortcuts. Uh, so I love productivity. I love efficiency. Uh, I love, uh, I want to look good. I want to make an impression. Uh, and so it can hurt me when I'm too image conscious, uh, when I don't, when I'm not authentic in, in, in my books, sharing the real me, sharing stories that make me, might make me look bad, mm. uh, of being my authentic self versus being my a polished self, you know, and mm-hmm. That's really helpful in terms of the show of marketing is you can be slick and, you know, you can say all the things that people want to hear, or you can be mm-hmm. your true authentic self, you know? And for me, I got to always write with that mindset of, I got to write with through my authentic self. Uh, I yeah. got to be who, who I am and not my, po- the polished version of who I am. And I, because I care a lot about efficiency, I could speed up the writing process too much. Um, mm-hmm. I could take shortcuts, uh, not cite all my, uh, you know, my sources, uh, you know, I could sort of take shortcuts. And that's why I have an editor who is a type one, who's mm. a perfectionist and doesn't let me get away with anything, you know, yeah. uh, just double checks every single source that I put down and, and Hey, have you cited this source? And, you know, it, it cares a lot about integrity. Mm. And so she can, she can, uh, safeguard me when, when I'm getting off, you know, uh, heading off in the wrong direction or taking shortcuts. Yeah. So, um, do you yeah. feel like you would ever uh, choose not to work with somebody um, as an editor or partner with somebody as maybe a beta reader of some kind based on their Enneagram and yours? Is, is there a case where the clash would be too uh, unproductive? Uh, no, I, I would say to not hire somebody or not, you know, based on the Enneagram type would be going against my eth- ethics. Right. Uh, because I feel like 
anyone can can uh you know be a good beta reader anyone can be good for a job but mm-hmm. i do i do think it helps you with like again probabilities on um like who, 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 what what their strengths are and what what your needs are so yeah. um yeah Trying to remember, there was a uh, oh, it was REM. I was hearing this story on another podcast I was listening to recently, and REM was kind of at an inflection point for the band, um, and so they decided to take time off of touring. Was one of the things they did at a time when like not touring would destroy uh, a band, and they were like, "We're we're going to implode if we don't take this time off." Um, and then they all decided to switch instruments. So, you know, the guy who was playing the guitar switched to the mandolin, the guy who was playing the drums switched to the guitar, so on and so forth. Um, and the next album they made was one of the best selling albums uh, of all time. Wow. And yeah, so like this idea of switching out of your comfort zone sometimes will create amazing things. Um, at the same time, I do notice that there are people that I'm naturally, uh, and apologies for the dog in the background, but uh, <laughs> there there are people that I naturally clash with that it's a lot harder to work with. Um, and in my own personal world, if I were going to count on putting bread on the table, there's some people I might not hire just because I know they don't fit real well with how I, I work. Um, do you run into that? And is that something that you can solve with the Neogram or is it something of you course. can avoid? What What are your thoughts there? No, of course. The Enneagram is super helpful for that. Uh, and I use it with premarital counseling uh, just to do just that, uh, figure out what the the points of conflict might be uh, or to explore what they already are and kind of explain why there's conflict going on. Uh, I've been going to businesses, um, sort of a side hustle doing coaching and helping teams understand each other more and where there might be conflict and you know, especially with bosses, their boss, a boss's personality can make or break their their leadership and influence. And so, even helping uh, bosses who are managing people understand their weaknesses and strengths and how it might be coming off is is super helpful. Uh, so, I was just going to ask you what uh, what are you know, since you're not as familiar with the Enneagram, uh, you can't cheat. <laughs> uh, yeah. What are what are some of the types of people or the characteristics that you have a really hard time with? Um, well, so in, in this, we don't have enough of an audience who knows, uh, the circles that we traveled in, but you probably know a guy named Aaron. Um, if you don't know his last name, that's fine, but he would be like, if you do know who I'm talking about, he would be a quick way to hack that. Um, he's actually oddly enough, or ironically enough, a business partner of mine. Um, however, his personality and mine clash hard because we're both, uh, really alpha. That's how I would explain that is I want to have control of a group or a room. I don't think of it in that way when I'm just existing. But when somebody else comes in and threatens for kind of like that pivot point or the central role, I really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people, you talked about fives. So there's something about somebody who does enough research. And that also is probably me. I'm I'm a fairly heavy researcher. Generally, if somebody is a comes off as a know-it-all to me, that is a real quick, like it'll shut me down pretty hard. Mm. Um, so I want, I want fluid conversation. And when somebody is really set on facts and knowing things and research, that's, that's a huge challenge. Yeah. So the fives tend to be know-it-alls when, <laughs> when they're not, uh, when they're not healthy, because mm-hmm. they, again, they, that they fear being incompetent. And so they research you know, more than anyone to become competent. That's the, the image they want to come present themselves as 
uh, the fig leaves. Uh, they want to cover themselves with competence mm. and their biggest fear is, is looking dumb. But when they're unhealthy and, and they're working out of a place of insecurity, they're going to make other people feel dumb to make themselves feel smarter. And so they, they will come off as a know-it-all and can be mm. very condescending. Uh, so that's just you know a little bit more on the five. And on the power dynamic side, uh, eights tend to be the most in tune with power dynamics and mm. who holds the power in the room and tend to be very, uh, you know, the chief types that love to uh, get momentum going, uh, get things moving in a positive direction. Uh, they love obstacles uh, because they're mm. challenges to overcome. They yeah. ex- they're not, they don't get excited about conflict, uh, but they're not afraid of conflict yep. uh, because it's conflict can be, you know, uh, it can be, there can be a lot of energy an exchange of yeah. energy in conflict and they don't want to live in a boring, slow, dull world. They want to live in an exciting world. And so they are more, uh, you know, going to be challenging other people, mm-hmm. uh, wrestling almost with people over different issues uh, and definitely will uh, fill those, the power dynamics of somebody else coming into the room that wants to control the room <laughs> or lead the room. And so that that's what came to mind when you were talking about that. Yeah. I'm not sure if 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 that resonates at all or if any of Yeah, those... especially when you were talking about being sensitive to the power dynamic and then, you know, that conflict thing. Um this this past weekend we had a late Thanksgiving with my side of the family and my son is turning nine. And so we went to get him some fish for his new aquarium. And um, we get there and the guy at the fish shop is like, well, how long have you had your tank? And my wife's like, we've only had it a couple of days. And he's like, you can't get fish. You've got to cycle the tank. We didn't know anything about cycling a tank. And we're talking with, with my son and he's like really, really bummed about it. And so I'm like, you know, as much as I really care about being a good steward of all living things, I think based on everything that I know, these fish are probably going to be okay. And if they aren't, you know, I'll take the responsibility and he won't have to spend any of his birthday money. So my wife is like, but, but like, we can't go ask to buy the fish. And I'm like, yeah, of course we can. I'll go ask the guy to buy fish. And if he says no, you know, like um, he'll never get our business again. Like that, that sense of conflict, no problem. I have no mm-hmm. issue with conflict. So that, that definitely resonates with me where I think I'd like to try to move this conversation based on some of this is it is clear to me that you could you could hear some of the things I was saying and sort of fit them into the Enneagram. Going back to that idea of how do we use this to because you've sold a lot of books for one. I mean, I I, I want to give you an opportunity to brag about how many books you've sold. How do you how do you use your knowledge of your own personality to get in front of an audience that's interested in buying your book? Or how do you brand based on that? Yeah, that's good. As much as fun as I love talking about the Enneagram, it's it's good to head in this direction because I'm, you know, just like anyone in your audience listening, uh, I am on my own journey of of writing books and figuring out how to market them, even right now, trying to figure out how to get my books published on Ingram Spark and mm. get them into libraries and, and Target because they've been on Amazon only for the last couple of years. And mm. so I'm I'm probably right there with a lot of your audience uh, right now. Yeah. So just to back up, so back in 2020, I decided to to give five the next five years of my life to writing a book for every Enneagram type. And so there's nine types, and uh, they're all faith-based. Uh, I'm a pastor right now. Uh, I'm going to be making a transition here at the end of the year. Uh, but it's sort of a way to encourage people and also challenge them based on their on their core motivations, core weaknesses, core strengths you know, in a very specific way, which I love. 
And so I decided to give the next five years of writing books. And then I had to figure out how to do it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I never thought of myself as an author. I felt like my mom, okay. she's the English teacher and uh, she's a great writer. She's published a book. My sister has a phenomenal writing, uh, writing skills. But actually, even though my, my sister is the more talented writer, it's taken her a lot longer to actually work on a book and she hasn't published yet. Mm. And so she's, you know, uh, she's, so she's still struggling with how to do that while working another full-time job, yeah. which I know a lot of your audience is, is um, in the yeah. same boat. Um, so I decided to spend five years and, you know, the way you, you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And so I decided, okay, if it's going to be a 40 day devotional, then I have to spend, uh, you know, one, uh, three days writing one devotion. Uh, mm. And then, and then, you know, eventually I'll get to 40 over the, over the course of four months, just breaking it down and doing an hour of writing before work every single day mm. and doing that just very bite-sized small chunks. I uh, was able to produce a devotional once every six months. So about four wow. months to write it and then a couple months to get through the editing process mm-hmm. and then do a book launch online uh, on social media. And then, so I've published six books now just came out with the sixth one. And so I got three more to go. And that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at in the process. And I decided to do a social media um, uh, or to create some social media accounts and get that going six months before mm-hmm. my first book. And uh, it was slow at first, but then yeah. it exponentially rose. And so now I have about 43,000 uh, followers on Instagram. And, uh, but here's, <laughs> here's the deal is uh, this is just a warning to, to your audience too, is make sure that you have a good password, that your account's secure oh, no. uh, because I just got hacked uh, oh, no. a month ago. And so it's been ex- just a really rough process this past month, figuring mm. out how to get it back. And it's been just so, so hard. Uh, but the good news is literally like 30 minutes before I jumped on a talk with you, uh, I got an email from them saying that they, they've disabled it by accident. Uh, but the reason I was able to get it back was because my sister who works in the tech industry had a friend who works for Facebook. Wow. And so I contacted her yesterday and she got me back within 24 hours. Um, yeah. but most people aren't going to have the privilege of knowing an insider. Well, I'm telling you, Facebook- that's the secret sauce though. <laughs> it's, it's not what you know, it's who, you know, <laughs> but here's the problem. And this is, this is going to be helpful for a lot of, you know, authors who have social media accounts is there's a lot more hackers out there. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot less employees at Facebook <laughs> and Facebook yeah. owns Instagram. And mm-hmm. so, the, the bots shut me down and there's not enough human beings to actually review these, these cases that are getting shut down these accounts. Mm-hmm. And so just need to make sure the accounts is, uh, is secure. Otherwise you might get shut down too. Jeez. And I was just like, am I going to lose three years worth of hard work oh, to get my Instagram account up? Um, right. but thankfully, you know, I got that resolved here half an hour ago and yeah. can start because it, it affected my book launch huge. Yeah. I just launched my book this past, my sixth book this past week. And I could see the numbers, uh, they're not as good as, as normal. So yeah. just thankful to get that back up. Okay. So a, a quick little, just kind of tangent based on that. Are you, yeah. are you collecting email addresses from your following on Instagram at all? How, how are you like, are you bringing them into your own world? Yeah. So, you know, in the first year, I was just putting out content, working that, out, working on that a little bit on the weekends, and trying to get three posts out a week, and then eventually grew that. And then probably about two years ago, I, I found out about lead magnets and what that meant, 
and created a free resource called Should Christians Use the Enneagram? Uh, sometimes non-Christian people who aren't Christian don't understand that, but a lot of, there's a lot of like more fundamentalist Christians that are like, no, can't use the Enneagram. It looks like a pentagram and, Uh you know, have a lot of problems with it in the the sources and origin of the Enneagram. And so I put out a PDF resource to say, Hey, should Christians use it? And my answer Mm -hmm. is absolutely. Uh, And so a lot of people that, that topic drew a lot of people to give me their email, get the free resource And so I gained about, you know, 1500 emails over the last two years from that lead magnet and then just came out with a self-typing PDF. So again, that document I referenced before of of 30 points on every type, it'll help you. You don't have to take a test. You can just use that as a way to self-type yourself. And that's been really popular. That's brought Mm. in about a thousand emails just in the last three or four months. That's great. Um, And so that's been one way I've been able to, yeah, get more people on my email list. That is great. I was uh, having a conversation with uh, Michael and Robin Sullivan recently. Um, they are two highly successful fiction. Well, uh, Michael's the author, Robin is the marketer, um, but they have used Kickstarter to launch their books. And essentially, if you if you run a successful Kickstarter, you get all of the email addresses for anybody who uh, pre-orders a book. So that's kind of a cool thing. I, I bet you you could do really well with a Kickstarter method for your free next three books. Um, hmm. and thanks, grab- thanks for the recommendation. Yeah I, yeah. I need to try that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can talk more about it offline too. Cause I think it actually sounds like it would be a beautiful fit for what you're doing. Um, and there are a number of just sort of momentum type of advantages to doing it that I'm learning about. Um, you have to be the right person to do a Kickstarter though. I'm running mine right now and it is like, uh, I'm making about 50 cents an hour. Uh, <laughs> for all the effort I'm putting in. Hey, um, I, do- I donated to you. Yeah, I know you did. I, I believe in what you're <laughs> I doing. Thank you. So, yeah. yeah. I love um, being able to help each other out. And uh, that's, that's, that's huge, man. Uh, yeah. I love what you're doing and, and not just trying to make money from these books, but you're trying, you have a vision uh, yes. for getting, getting this marketing book into the hands of every college student yeah. um, so they can be successful. That is going above and beyond just trying to make money from a book and, and, you know, yeah. you're showing that you have purpose and you want to help people. It's not just a selfish thing. Uh, so I love it and was grateful to contribute to it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. And I mean, it is, I, I like that about Kickstarter is that um, it may have its own kind of uh, perceptions, but in reality, anytime anybody puts money into a Kickstarter, they're guaranteed to get an, uh, a product out of it. So it's not, you know, kind of that idea where you're crowdsourcing without giving anything back. I think there's a place for that, but I really like that Kickstarter guarantees a product somewhere along the line. Somebody's getting something. Um, yeah. So moving moving forward, you were talking about book launches. You're talking about having 43,000 followers on Instagram. I want to touch on something that I think you're pretty qualified to discuss with 43,000 followers on Instagram. I imagine you have like licking your chops kind of about how much access you have to people. And then maybe your book sales aren't quite as good as, as you might think. Um, what are some areas that you've run into where you thought, wow, social media didn't get me as far as I thought it would. Hmm. Yeah. You know, an email list is actually more effective yeah. and thank goodness uh, that when I, my accounts got shut down uh, this past month, I actually did have, um, you know, 12,000 plus on my email list. Mm. And uh, that makes me think, okay, how did I get, you know, 12,000? Um, there's probably about two to 3,000 I've gotten on my own, mm-hmm. um, but 10,000 actually came from one person. And, and so, 
you know, you'll know, Jody, that writing and creating a platform as an author takes a lot of work. It's not yeah. easy, you know? No, it's the and hardest so part, I think. Yeah, it's just sowing, uh, sowing uh, seeds, you know, daily and you eventually reap, but it takes, a, it's a long process. And I'm not sure if this has happened to you, but I feel like there's little breaks or big breaks that come along the way if you're mm-hmm. patient and just put in that work. And I think marketing, uh, uh, networking with others in the marketing process is such a big win. Uh, you know, it's, it's building friends in the space that you're in. Mm-hmm. That's why social media is so good. Is I, I know somebody who's a brilliant uh, writer, teacher, um, but they're sort of limited because they don't have... Uh, they don't, they're not in a community. They're not, they're not in an online space where they're talking to people that are talking about them. And so getting on Instagram was really fun because I was able to follow all of these people that were big names uh, and more popular than me and just started to put out my own content, started to Mm. message, uh, DM them, say, Hey, what's going on? And, and, and uh, just communicate. And then, you know, I got a, uh, a message one day saying, hey, love your social media. Would you repurpose your social media on my account? Because it's not doing very well. And uh, in exchange, if you just send me your your posts, you know, for a year or so and just help me build up my, my uh, following, I'll give you access to my 10,000 people uh, wow. so that that's so amazing. that, you know, you can. And, and I've been able to advertise to those 10,000 people for every book that I've done. Hmm. And that has helped me you know, just that networking yeah. uh, of talking to people. And I'll never forget the first podcast that I was on the Enneacast uh, and talking about should Christians use the Enneagram mm-hmm. and just what a huge boost that was for me uh, to mm-hmm. be able to, to get in, you know, to, to, in, to uh, in front of so many more listeners. And it all came down to just networking and making friends in the space that you're in. And uh, yeah. that, that's been tremendously helpful. And so going back to your question, so the email list, is actually, uh, mm-hmm. I think, more effective. But social media definitely leads you to um, or network with more people who can get you in front of more audiences. Yeah. So this this is um, my audience has kind of heard one of my stories about Twitter uh, and how I used social media kind of like a mailing list to build up my podcast. So there was a point where I was frustrated by plateauing out and I knew that I had access to more people. I knew people were interested in what I had to say because I've been interacting for quite a while with folks on Twitter and doing really well there. And I started doing math in my head and thinking, you know what? I put together a compelling form message and I can message all of the people who follow me one by one. And it was extremely labor intensive, but it grew the podcast in a huge way. So there's, there's this amazing aspect to social media. People don't necessarily know what you're doing though. And I think that's the challenge. Whereas with an, uh, an email list, you put together one compelling thing, one time hit send, and you blast it out to the world. So it's, it is interesting, the different functions that we have uh, based on what platform we're on. Yeah. And I've been against email lists up until recently, but mm. I've heard really successful people saying, no, you got to build. That's, that's the thing that's secure. Everything else, you yep. know, YouTube can shut you down. You know, your email list is, is, and if you, if you mm-hmm. provide content in your emails, like good, valuable yeah. content, they, they don't mind deleting emails every once in a while uh, because they know that there's there's free content and value value is going to be coming their way as long as you're not just you know always just you know trying to sell stuff but you're you're giving tips and you're you're adding value then they love being on your email list so that that was a hurdle that i had to sort of get over uh to, to doing this 
another another hurdle just on social media was my face like putting myself out there i sort of have a, have a vanity for vanity and i don't oh, like like you know i don't there's a lot of ego and a lot of people that want to get their face out there on social mm-hmm. media and look good and yeah i just don't want to be one of those people okay you know, when it comes to marketing yeah. i just don't like i don't want to be one of those salesmen type mm-hmm. of people who love themselves who love talking about themselves mm-hmm. and so for the last three years in social media i primarily just done content but mm-hmm. I've never actually like been on a video, like talked to, to my audience because yeah. I've, I've sort of been hiding uh, behind mm-hmm. my content. And so I'm trying to step out of my comfort zone more and, and, and talk more, even though mm-hmm. there's a fear of rejection of like, Oh, they love my content, but they're probably going to reject me. You know? Interesting. Yeah. And so I've been trying to get beyond that. Cause I know that's going to help, but people really want to interact with you as an author and they want to, yeah. they want to have that chemistry and that, um, those meaningful interactions. Yeah. Uh, and I know that, but it's been hard for me to still want to put myself out there on video and uh, you, do you get what I'm saying? Very much. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, very, very much. I think video especially is really tough. The podcast atmosphere feels a little bit better because you kind of start getting into a sense of feeling like it's a phone call and you forget that people will listen to it. So I've had an easier time there, but very much. Um, I think the other part of me though is, and and this this is where you know since you and I probably spoke more uh, in the past, um, my journey has kind of taken me away from being actively involved in the church. And one of the things that I've had a really hard time reconciling is uh, a lot of the people that I knew in the church like really sit hard on humility. And I have a, a close friend who's a brilliant musician. Guarantee you know him. But he decided to step away from from pursuing serious music because he was afraid it would become an idol to him. And like he didn't want to have an idolatry problem. And it just bothered the crap out of me. I was like, (laughs) you were given a gift like almost nobody else. His his musical gifting is just off the charts and he's not going to pursue it seriously because he's afraid of having an idol. And I'm like. Hey, I'm pretty sure that's not the road you're supposed to take, but I can't, I can't tell him what to do, you know? And so I've seen, I've seen the church ruin some good people. And unfortunately, that's probably part of the process of, of my own journey right now. And I say all of that to say, like, part of me wonders how much of that is wrapped up. Like, how much are you thinking about your faith when you make that choice to kind of be behind the scenes? Like, are you afraid of thinking too much of yourself or are there other things going on? That's a great question. Um, yeah, it, it, what you're right. It comes down to stewardship. If you have a gift, you need to steward it. You need to use it. You can't just bury your talents in the sand to use that biblical parable. Yeah. And uh, in the Enneagram, bringing that back in here. So there's on one side, you got the, the more self-assured ego side, uh, personality types, and then mm-hmm. you have the more false humility or self-sabotaging types. And so you got to kind of know who you are. If you if you have are more prone towards ego and like, I want to fill the space with more me, you know, I yes. call it me, the me monster, me, me, me. Yeah. Then you, you have to, cre- you have to step back and create space for other people uh, to shine mm-hmm. and to use their gifts and less of you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's, there's people like the type fours, for example, uh, and a lot of the artistic types fall, fit into fours. They are self-sabotaging. They mm-hmm. they will sabotage themselves before other people can can uh, shame them yeah. or reject them. 
and uh, oftentimes lack confidence. And so for mm-hmm. those types of personalities, you need to say, hey, no, you, we need your gift. You need to bring yourself, uh, mm-hmm. your full self to the world and your gifts because it's meaningful and it adds value. Uh, so that, the Enneagram can, can be helpful uh, yeah. there. Uh, but for me, so yeah, I've been, been combating that, that fear of looking vain mm-hmm. um, of, um, and so, yeah, again, as you can, you can hear my, as I'm talking, it's, there's a filter, almost like yeah. an Instagram filter, like a filter <laughs> of how I look. I don't want to yeah. look bad, you know, mm-hmm. and that can be a weakness. Uh, and as long as I'm bringing my vulnerable self and my, my weaknesses and not bringing my polished self, then get on video. Like it's okay. Yeah. Uh, talk with people. They want to hear from you. Yes. Um, you know, like people want, don't, don't want, just want your content. They want you. And yeah. uh, I got to keep reminding myself of that and realizing that it does, even if I look bad, I can still, still do it and yeah. get rid of that fear of rejection. Like, Oh, if they, if they finally get to know the real me, uh, then they'll not want to read my books. Cause they'll yeah. see that I'm flawed. They, they'll see that there's imperfections. Uh, it's not that impressive. And so then I don't know if I want to read his books anymore, you know? So I gotta, yeah, I gotta get over that fear of rejection. Um, hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's something really core to my own feeling just hearing you talk because I'm I'm thinking about the the ego that lives inside of me is afraid of all the things that you said, but I also have uh, such a big ego or what appears to be an ego or something that I, I kind of figure that the the numbers are in my favor. Like there's going to be a lot of people who hate what I have to say and don't enjoy my message. But I think of my message as being so compelling that uh, there's just bound to be, you know, a million people out there who are ready to hear what I have to say, mm. um, you know, so a little more self-assurance there. Like, um, I think I so. Believe yeah. in, I believe in what I have to say and, mm-hmm. this, you know, and that can be really good. Yeah. That self-assurance can be really great confidence. Um, it can for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah, it can. I think it can go both ways. Uh, and I've mostly been fortunate to have when my wife is a really good check on on me. And she's also the eternal skeptic, which is great for for a person like me to have a skeptic who's always like, you want to think about that again, maybe I'd be like, no, $7,000. Let's buy whatever this is. And she's like, wait. <laughs> yes. Sounds like you have a great wife. Yeah, you know, you, you could have married somebody that just, you know, what, you know, go, goes along to get along and just, you know, yeah. whatever you want, honey. But it sounds like right. you married. <laughs> yeah. Married somebody yeah. who's good for you to keep, put the brakes, the brakes on when you need yeah. it. Very much. Okay. So talk to me about your books. Uh, how can people, if they've listened to this and they're thinking they didn't even touch the surface of how they can use the Enneagram for marketing mindset, kind of success in, in our mission of getting our books out into the world, how do they interact with you? Where's the best place to meet you? Um, all the good details. Yeah. So my website's gospel for Enneagram.com. Uh, that's gospel F O R Enneagram.com. Uh, Mike, socials just came back online or they're going to yeah. come back online. This is great. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram, uh, gospel for Enneagram. Again, that's gospel, F-O-R, Enneagram. That's the handle. And then I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, Instagram is kind of where the party's at. That's where the most interaction is happening. Uh, and then start a YouTube channel. And again, this this appeals to both faith and non-faith-based people, wherever you're at. Uh, I'm, I just put out a series on you know, relationships and 90 minutes of free teaching on any, 
an any every uh, every Enneagram tie about ten minutes each. Uh, and so lots of free content on YouTube. You should go, you can go binge watch it, uh, right now awesome. on YouTube, uh, just search for gospel for Enneagram. And, uh, yeah, those are some places uh, you can, can reach me. Uh, but I'm hoping that some of this was helpful for people. Uh, yeah. again, I'm, I'm in the shoes of a lot of your audience. Um, I'm going to be transitioning from a pastor to being uh, a full-time Enneagram author, trainer, e-course creator, all of that. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people that are always wondering, when should I quit my full-time job uh, to be a full-time author? Or how do I be a side hustle author while I'm doing this full-time job? And that's kind of where I've been at the the past few years. And so I'm just trying things. I just just launched my first live e-course. And and then I'm going to package that as a video, self-paced video course. Um, I'm going to be training church teams, training business teams, and just experimenting a lot with different sources of yeah. income because I, I want to be a full-time writer. Like I just want to mm-hmm. write all day, yeah. every day brings me so much life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know I'm going to have to do other things, uh, that I might not necessarily enjoy as much yeah. uh, to be able to make it and you know, make money for my family. And, and, and so I know that's a tension that a lot of your listeners probably feel as well. Yeah. Uh, but I, so I'm on the learning journey and I'm grateful for YouTube and for podcasts and for like your podcast, because there's so much valuable content out there. So much. And so if you just put in the time to like every day to listen to YouTube videos, listen to podcasts like this one, like you can grow in your competency so much. Yeah. Uh, and so everything I've, I've learned and I'm doing, I've, it's been free content on the internet. I know. I'm so, yeah. so thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last thing, just because you, you had mentioned it again, what would be your ideal, like where would you be three, four months, a year from now with YouTube specifically? Like what what would that look like for you? Yeah, the goal is to get monetized in six months and have that as another source of income as I'm writing. Awesome. Uh, and so it takes about 35 or so videos in order for the algorithm to pick you up. Oh, wow. And so I've, I've got about... 13 videos done right now. And nice. so for well, maybe about 15 videos now. And so I'm just slowly just creating one video per week and putting in that work. And I know that <laughs> after I get to about 35 videos, the algorithm will start picking me up and showing me to more people. Um, but it's going to take some time. I need, I need 4,000 watch hours and a thousand mm-hmm. subscribers in order to get monetized. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of just starting out right now awesome. with that. Yeah. I've been doing the shorts. I really like uh, YouTube shorts, um, but the last I knew, at least they didn't count towards watch time or anything like that. So I, I enjoy making them. Um, I never liked TikTok, and YouTube shorts are kind of filling that spot for me. So one one piece of advice I heard was to stick with one social media channel and then eventually branch out because again, we don't all have time, yeah. especially with full time jobs, to be posting on every single, you know, doing Instagram, Instagram Reel, YouTube, YouTube Short. Mm-hmm. TikTok, it just right. so much. Yeah. Uh, I think you've mentioned it on one of your shows about get, like not not doing TikTok because it you know you just gotta I conserve to your energy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had to quit. I, it was just yeah. too much for me. So the, the, there's a host of reasons, and you're right. I did talk about it, so I won't rehash. But well, listen, it was really good, Tyler, having you on. And uh, something tells me I'll probably be connecting with you for a round two, a little down the road, just to kind of pick up on your progress. And I think you have so much more to offer my audience than we even tapped into in this conversation. Hmm. It's been an honor, privilege. It's been fun to, to chat with you, Jody. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?